Welcome to Graceway Baptist Church and welcome to our midweek service. I uh, hope that you are having a good week. I hope that the Lord is blessing you and hope that you are enjoying life right now. This is uh, June the 2nd and I hope you had a good Memorial Day weekend and hope you remembered what Memorial Day really was all about. Your freedom, your freedom, my freedom, was paid for by the blood of patriots who gave their lives in wars and battles and things like that in order to uh, maintain our freedom. And we're so grateful for them. And we thank the Lord for people who are willing to give their lives for us. So I hope you had a good time and hope that you are doing well and that you're healthy. Remember to pray for people who are going through some things right now. Remember to pray for... Uh, Lynn Oldham, he's having a stent put in his heart. Remember to pray for um, Danny Hudler. Uh, he's having uh, oral surgery to remove cancer. It's going to be a long uh, ordeal, long surgery, and a long recovery. And pray for him. Pray for Gail that she would recover as well. And um, Charlie Poole had knee surgery on Tuesday. Pray for him as he recovers. And if you'll go to our website at gracewayokc.org, if you haven't, uh, you can go there and you can download our newsletter and keep up with some of those uh, things like that. And uh, keep up with various events. Summer camp for our teenagers is coming up in about a week. And uh, we really need to bathe that in prayer. And... Um, some of you I know uh, ask about me and I appreciate that. You pray for me and I really do appreciate that. I um, feel pretty good today. I woke up this morning and uh, had somebody coming to do some work at the house and had to get up and around and uh, move pretty quick on all of that. And it didn't seem to tire me out much. I felt pretty normal. I, uh, because of Memorial Day, uh, this, I'm recording this on Tuesday, uh, by the way. I uh, had to go to my cardiac rehab. And normally I've avoided doing cardiac rehab and then doing these recordings on the same day because I just don't have the strength. But today's been a good day and I feel uh, pretty strong. I just, uh, when you think about your phone and you look at it and it says it's got 7% battery life, well, your phone will act normal until it just kind of shuts off when it doesn't have enough power. It's kind of the way I am. My battery doesn't recharge to 100% anymore, uh, maybe 20. And then when I expend energy, it's like uh, I come to a certain point where I kind of hit a wall and I just don't have any more. And uh, for those of you here who were here this past Sunday, I want to apologize to you because that's kind of where I was. I don't know why but I didn't have any strength, I didn't have any energy, and I was just shot uh, before even the service started. And uh, they told me that I'm gonna have some ups and downs and we're months away from any kind of recovery. So uh, that's kind of where we are, but right now, pretty good. So thank you for your prayers and uh, I pray for you as well. Well, we're looking in the Psalms and we're in Psalm 79. This is not written by David, it's written by Asaph. And um, this is written a long time after David. This particular Psalm is written by Asaph who is looking around and seeing the destruction 
the ruins, maybe would be a better way of saying it, of the Babylonians who have come in, they ransacked Jerusalem, they took the best and the brightest captive and took them to Babylon. And then he talks about everywhere he looks in Jerusalem, he just sees piles, piles of rubble, broken down, torn up. And there are dead bodies and corpses that haven't been buried yet. This is the aftermath of an invasion. This is the aftermath of a brutal conqueror coming in. And um, I, th I think about after the uh, United States won World War II, we went back and we rebuilt Europe and Japan. In Berlin, on the uh, Kurfürstendamm, or the Kudam as the Germans call it, there's a shopping area. And right in the midst of that, there's a towering church. It's the Kaiser Wilhelm Gedeckniskirche, the Kaiser Wilhelm Memorial Church. It predates World War II. But in the days when we went in there, we carpet bombed Berlin and that area. And that church was about the only thing that remained. It's torn up. The steeple, you can tell, has been blown off and other places are damaged, but they left it and they preserved it as a memorial of what war was like. Okay? Now, let me just say this. East Germany did not have that problem. They didn't have to memorialize or preserve anything. Why? Because the Soviets that occupied that part of Germany didn't bother building anything back. The reason that the church was preserved and the Germans said, don't tear it down, leave it there, we want to remember the war, is because Americans came in and rebuilt virtually everything in Berlin and in Europe. Uh, that was very nice of us, don't you think? And most people don't realize that, that particularly Western Europe has a good footing today because of the way we handled things after World War II. Now, we could have conquered, and we could have destroyed, and we could have occupied, and we could have refused to give it back and make it part of our territory, but we didn't do that, did we? So people who think that America does nothing but occupy and colonize and all of that kind of stuff. They don't know their history. We uh, did that. Now, the Babylonians were not like Americans. The Babylonians tore things up, killed people, and ravaged everything, and then they just left, and they left it. And the people that were left were just a remnant of people. The brightest and best were taken to Babylon. The people that were left behind were not your movers and shakers. They were not your people who could figure things out and get things done. I'm sure there were some, but not many. Old and infirmed and people that were considered useless by Babylon, well, they were left behind. And now their farms are in bad shape and their buildings are torn down. Where do you start? What do you do? Who has the strength to do it? Seventy years of living like that. And this is the context of this particular psalm. I've often uh, asked the question, whenever you read things like this and kind of, oh, yeah, whatever, ask you a question. How would you like to see foreign troops walking the streets of Oklahoma City and more? How would you like to see them 
taking the brightest and best at every, we just went through graduation, taking the brightest and best of our students, both high school and college, and taking them off to another country. How would you like them killing your relatives and just leaving their bodies to rot in the sunlight? How would you like any of that, uh, things that you love and cherish just to be destroyed? And you can't get food, and you can't get clothing, you can't run to Walmart and get anything because it doesn't exist. How would you like that? Now let that sink in. This is what the Jews had gone through. The humiliation of all of it, the destruction of all of it, the disgust of all of it. And how would you like to have that happen knowing that it was your own fault? God had sent warning after warning after warning after warning after warning to them. And they thought their temple was a good luck charm. And nothing, God won't do that here because this is where the temple is and that's where he lives, right? Yeah, well, wrong. And so we find that out. And so as Asaph describes these things and he talks about, uh, as we looked at last week, the brokenness that he feels. We're going to talk about his prayer and effective praying. He says in verse 8 of Psalm 79, Oh, do not remember former iniquities against us. Let your tender mercies come speedily to meet us, for we have been brought very low. Help us, O God of our salvation, for the glory of your name, and deliver us, and provide atonement for our sins. For your name's sake, why should the nation say, where is their God? Let there be known among the nations in our sight the avenging of the blood of your servants, which has been shed. When you look at that prayer of Asaph, what is he asking for? Well, if we concentrate on that last verse, then we're thinking that he's asking for revenge. God, get them. Do something to them. Well, that is in there, but it's not the main point of his prayer. I think if you notice the main point of his prayer, you won't even say it's Israel's sin. Now that's in there, and it's mentioned several times. They brought this on themselves, and Asaph fully knows this. We're just reaping what we sow. We're just getting what we deserve. In fact, probably if they looked at it through the eyes of the prophet Jeremiah and others, they're getting far less than they deserve. As bad as it is, it's not as bad as it could be. They're not all dead. It's not all over. There is, as Jeremiah 29, 11 says, for Israel going into exile, there's a future Things are going to be on pause for about 70 years. But at the same time, during the time when it was so bad in Israel, think about what all we see that was taking place in Babylon. Was God dead? Was God through working with the Jews, his people? Well, have you ever read the book of Daniel? Have you ever heard the story of, of Daniel interpreting the king's dreams? That was God doing that. Have you ever heard the story of 
Daniel in the lion's den? That was God who shut the mouths of the lions. God was doing that. Have you ever heard of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? They were among the exiles to Babylon. And uh, what had happened when they refused to bow before the idol? They were thrown into a very hot furnace that killed the guards, but it didn't kill Shadrach, Meshach, or Abednego. That was God. In fact, Nebuchadnezzar said, did we not throw three men bound into the fire? Why is it that I see a fourth man and they're all walking around and the fourth man looks like the son of God? Uh, think about that. Think about that. So whenever we look at it from the standpoint of the people in Judah and Israel, we go, oh, God has abandoned us. I understand why they would feel that way. But if you look at it from the standpoint of Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and even the book of Esther, you know what you find out in all of that? God was still at work. And so just because you find yourself in a tough situation doesn't mean that everybody is doing that. Doesn't mean that God has fallen asleep or God has walked away or God has abandoned you. It's just not the case. God is working. I'm told by people who know far more than I do, that God is really moving in other countries besides America. We're falling asleep. We're deteriorating. We're crumbling here. But in other places, the fires of revival and the winds of the Holy Spirit are moving mightily and people are turning to Christ in droves. Churches are growing and being strengthened. And my prayer is, oh God, do it here. Oh, God, do it here. Because we're much like Israel in this respect, in a spiritual sense. What we had because of our sin, the enemy has decimated. And there's lots of spiritual rubble. And there are lots of lives that are just being cast aside. And it's because the people of God have not lived holy lives. And it's because we brought this on ourselves we wanted sin. We wanted compromise. We wanted to make church and worship about us instead of about God. And God, is, is if, it's as if he's saying, have at it. Have at it and reap the rewards. It's not like we haven't been warned. But even at all of that, sin is not really the theme of this passage that we just read. You know what it is? The glory of God. And folks, that's where we either hit it or we miss it. If your family is centered around the glory of God, I don't care what happens, you're going to make it. And you're going to be rewarded by God. But if your family is made an idol out of your children, you let them choose your church, you let them decide what you're going to do. They run the family, they run the activities. It's not leadership. Fathers, you ought to be the shepherd of your homes, the pastor of your homes, right? Some people have made money their God. And so when it comes to it, they say, well, I've got to be secure in my financial future, and I've got to take care of these debts and all of that. Well, hey, I'm all for being responsible and for being a good steward. But if you're doing it simply for yourself and in the strength of the flesh, it's going to fall apart. You got to aim at the glory of God. I want to do this for your glory. 
I want to go to church this next week for your glory. I'm having a quiet time for your glory. I am praying for these people that you may be glorified. That's where you're going to find it. The chief end of man, the Westminster Catechism says, is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. And I think you don't really enjoy God and the benefits of knowing God until you actually live to his glory. See what I mean? So when we think about this prayer of Asaph, I think he hits some things that you and I need to think about and that we need to believe and that we need to incorporate into our prayer life. After all, the Bible says in the New Testament, in the book of James, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. And I just wonder, where are the effectual prayers? What is it that makes a prayer to be effective and uh, answerable by God. There are some prayers that he just doesn't answer, or maybe he does and he just says no. Well, what's the deal? Well, first of all, there's got to be cleansing in your life. The Bible says very clearly, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. We've got to be clean. And the way we get clean is by going to, uh, first of all, go to Psalm 139, where David asked the Lord to search his heart and see if there be any wicked way in me. Because that wickedness will kind of hide out. It's kind of like cancer. Have you ever known anyone who had cancer and didn't know they had cancer? They said, I didn't have any symptoms. I wasn't feeling bad. There was just something going on in, when I had blood work done that the doctor said, something's not right here. And then they did a, a PET scan or a CAT scan or something like that. And then they found the cancer. And uh, they say, well, we've got to get busy and we've got to do something about this. You know, sin can be like that in our lives. We get so used to it. We learn to tolerate it. We learn to live with uh, uh, the Holy Spirit um, convicting us and challenging us and disciplining us. And we think we're normal when the truth is we could have such an enjoyable and wonderful, peace-filled, joy-filled life if we would only confess our sins. So Psalm 139 is where I would start. Then I would go to 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, and confess there doesn't mean to name your sins. There's nothing wrong with that. That's not what the word means. The word means to agree with God about your sins. See, some people confess their sins, but they don't really agree with God about their sins. In fact, they would do it again if they had the opportunity. If they weren't afraid to, they'd do a whole lot more. To confess, homo legeo is the word, is to think the same or say the same that God says. To come to the point where you hate the sin as much as God hates it, there's where we want to go. To see it in the light that God sees it. That's where we want to be. And so there's got to be cleansing. And cleansing, of course, only comes through the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the one that makes us clean. And he's the one that wants to make us clean. Don't ever be afraid to go with him with your sin, whatever it might be. Because he wants to make you clean. Oh, do not remember former iniquities against us. What were the former iniquities? Sexual sin was a part of it. The worship of idols. The way that they would treat the worship of the Lord. Because during that time, they didn't abandon the temple. 
but they were a whole lot more excited about going to the high places to worship false gods than they were to worship the true and the living God. And Jesus told us, you can't serve two masters. Well, they thought, they thought you could. They thought you could. It doesn't work that way, does it? And so former iniquities, the iniquities of previous generations. You know, there's something interesting in the Bible. People in the Bible, when they would confess their own sin, they would also confess the sins of their ancestors. Why would they do that? In order to understand that sin doesn't just show up. It's been brewing for a long time. In Daniel, I believe, the ninth chapter, he does that. Forgive me and forgive the sins of my fathers. And sin tends to travel in families. Have you ever noticed that? If grandpa had a temper, there's a good chance that daddy and grandson are going to have a temper. They tell us that those who are abused when they're children tend to become abusers when they grow up. Doesn't make any sense, does it? Well, sin travels in families. And if you think about it from a warfare perspective, the demons that were working in grandpa when he dies, what do they do? Where do they go? They probably move on down the family line and work in, a, in an area and with a family where they kind of know the DNA. They kind of know the landscape. They kind of know what's happening. They know what the besetting sins are. They know what the propensity to sin is. And so we've got to be careful about all this stuff. We need cleansing that can only come from the Lord Jesus Christ. Number two, to have an effective prayer life, you've got to have motive. If you're just going through the rituals and you just do it because it's time to do it, some people come to church, and if you have a, a more liturgical church service, I can remember when I was a little kid and we would be in very formal chapel services, there'd be a time when the chapel would pray, kind of like a pastoral prayer, and he would come down to the point of saying this every single week. And we pray this in the name of our Savior who taught us to pray, and then the congregation would all go, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Now, is there anything inherently wrong with that? No, except it was a dead, lifeless, meaningless ritual. They weren't taking that prayer that the Lord Jesus gave us. And by the way, the Lord's prayer is really not his prayer. It's the prayer he taught the disciples. Jesus never had to confess sin, by the way. Uh, when we take those things and just repeat them, dully, mindlessly, thoughtlessly, uh, you know, in vain repetition. Do you remember anybody saying anything about vain repetition? Jesus told us not to pray like the heathen using vain or empty, mindless, thoughtless repetition. That's always bad news, isn't it? And so when we look at that, we see that Asaph had a motive for praying. It wasn't himself. It wasn't necessarily for his comfort or anything like that. Notice what he said. Let your tender mercies come speedily to us, for we have been brought very low. 
Now, the first thing I want you to notice in there is the use of the plural. You know, sometimes we get so busy praying for ourselves that we forget even the Lord's Prayer, as we call it, is all plural. Give us this day our daily bread, not just me. Forgive us our trespasses, not just me. This is a community thing that we are in. And that's the way Asaph is, is praying. And he says, help us, O God of our salvation. And then he tells us the motive for the glory of your name. Well, what had happened to the name of Yahweh, Israel's God? Well, when the Babylonians came in and decimated it and took them captive and destroyed their temple, to them it was as if Yahweh didn't exist. Why should we ever respect Israel's God? Why should we ever pay attention to what a Jew says theologically? Why? Why should we care about their Torah? Why should we care about their sacrifices? I mean, obviously their God is a, you know, a nothing burger or we wouldn't have been able to conquer and destroy all of that, right? Asaph says, have tender mercies on us and forgive us and restore us. Why? For the glory of your name. That people will be able to look, and this is the way Israel is even today. They are a testimony that God exists and that God's word is true. Nineteen times the enemies of the Jews throughout history have tried to annihilate them. Nineteen holocausts. Think about that. And yet Israel stands. Why? Because that is the will, plan, and purpose of God for his people. There's a lot still to be fulfilled for national Israel. Number three, there's got to be deliverance. If you just sit and admit, let's say that I've taken you and chained you up to a chair, and you sit there in that chair and you admit that you're chained to the chair, doesn't do you any good, does it? I mean, it may be a start, but it doesn't do you any good. You've got to be delivered from the chains that you're wrapped in. The same thing is true of sin. If we are confessing our sin and admitting to our sin, but we're not being freed from our sin, delivered from our sin, then what good did it do? Effective praying has clean, uh, cleansing, motive, and deliverance. Deliverance. And notice how Asaph says, uh, and deliver us and provide atonement for our sins. Free us from them. And then again, for your name's sake. Why should God forgive you? And why should he deliver you? So that you can go back into sin again? He might just want to leave you in the chair chained up. At least then you can't get to those things where you're sinning and fall back into the pit that you've been in before. God wants you to be free. And God wants you to be delivered. And you need to be delivered in the way that only God can deliver you. And if you don't want that, then why are you praying? If you don't want to honor and glorify God and live a holy life, why are you praying? If your intention is pray to God like you're rubbing a genie's lamp or something, then why are you doing that? Asaph tells us why to do it. 
for the glory of his name. Christians that are under discipline, Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews that are captivated, uh, Christians that are captivated by sin. Christians that are under God's chastisement are no witness for Christ. You tell the world, here I am miserable under the heavy hand of God, and you need what I've got. Well, I wouldn't listen to you either. God wants his children to be free, and so you need deliverance. And then the last thing is, you need a burden. This wasn't just an empty, mindless, thoughtless prayer. Even though it might be right, it's prayed with intensity. It's prayed with passion. It's prayed with a burden. It's prayed in faith. It's prayed because God is the only hope that they have. Listen to these words. Verse 10. Why should the nation say, where is their God? We kind of talked about that a minute ago. Let there be known among the nations in our sight the avenging of the blood of your servants, which has been shed. In other words, Asaph says, for your glory, let the nations, not just Babylon, Egypt and Assyria and those other nations around, let them know when you attack God's people, you're not going to get away with it. That our God is able to defend us and our God is also able to avenge us. Even though this captivity was their own fault and their own doing, Asaph still prays this. Remember Paul telling us that we are to leave place for the vengeance of God? We forget sometimes that God is going to do something about some of the things you've been through that you don't deserve. God is going to avenge that. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord, both the Old and the New Testament. When you think about that, do you get kind of a giddy feeling? Oh boy, God's going to get them for that. Or does it cause you to pause and to think that must be terrible? And you pray for your enemies. And then you go so far as to minister to your enemies. Right? Isn't that what he said? Both in Proverbs and in Romans. If your enemy's thirsty, give him a drink. If he's hungry, give him food. Right? And you heap coals of fire on his head. That's one of the ways the Lord gets vengeance is through you doing good deeds and glorifying your Father. When we think about these things, we realize we've got to take a different course of action. Is it okay to pray for God to get vengeance on his enemies? Yeah, if you're doing it for the glory of God. Yeah, if they are being um, hit by that while you were doing good to them. You see, the Babylonians had captured Daniel, and yet Daniel, throughout all of his life, serving as the prime minister even of Babylon, did nothing but good for King Nebuchadnezzar and King Darius and uh, Belteshazzar or whatever his name was after that. Nothing but good. Nothing but good. Even Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, when they're questioned, you know, about things, they weren't disrespectful. 
And so when I look at all of that, I'm thinking, if we had a view of people, seeing them made in the image of God, lost and bound for hell, knowing that the vengeance of God for everything they've done is going to come upon them either in this life or the next, maybe we could be moved with some compassion. Maybe we could do good deeds and minister to them and meet their needs. Maybe we could even pray for them and ask God to have mercy on them and ask God to create a need in their life that only we can meet and then joyfully meet that need. And Lord, do it for the glory of your name. What would that do to us? How would we respond to that? Well, I think what would happen is if we truly got cleansed, if we had the right motive when we prayed, if we were letting God deliver us from our own sin, and then when we were burdened and we were thinking about what God deserves and how this world ignores all of that, and burdened for his name, burdened for his gospel, burdened for his glory, burdened for the souls of men, women, boys, and girls, burdened about our own life and our sin, burdened for our church, burdened for America. I mean, we could go on and on, couldn't we? And it may be that our prayer lives will become much more effective. So I'll leave that with you, and we'll pick up uh, and uh, cover the rest of the psalm next Wednesday night, Lord willing. But in the meantime, may the Lord bless you, and may the Lord bring you to a deeper level of prayer and more effective praying for his glory. Thank you, and God bless you.